Is this the preamble? Yeah. Oh. This is right now. Jeez. Should have known we were recording. After the amble, it's the preamble. So, so now I can start the welcome to the Connect Squad? No. No, I'll... I'll uh, I feel like this should all be part of the preamble. I, think I, feel, like, I feel like I should, too. Cam, <laughs> I can't talk. You all right? That was sat this morning when he <laughs> called Cam and said, I can't... I can't work today. Coach, I can't do it. I can't. I got the black lung pop. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I guess I'm sat today. Well, you're Bick. I'm Bick. But you can sit in Sat's chair. There we go. I'm, or sat I'm, and sit. Sat. Okay. I'm uh, pleased to get the call up. Bring it. Well, we had so much fun on Connect Central. It was a week or two ago that I'm like, yeah. all right, let's do it. I can't just talk to myself. I, I, I've never gotten a call up like this. What's You gotten a call up from the HO. What's that like? It's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I don't think your paychecks are going <laughs> to grow as exponentially as the age. It's it's not show dough, okay? Oh, yeah. But the good news is when you go back, you won't have to put money on the board. Right. Yeah. What, what would they be the broadcasting equivalent of uh, uh, forecheck, backcheck, paycheck? I, I don't know. I'm not a professionally trained broadcaster. What what are we laughing about? Uh, Cam was just showing me uh, Tyler Grayovac's name, who you know gets called up, gets injured, and he's been getting this uh, paycheck for for who knows how long. Exactly, beat the system, <laughs> beat the system. Use and, the and, game, don't let the game it's, use you. It's funny because it's like you look at it and you're like, oh, that's awesome. We all know he'd rather be playing for sure in the NHL, but rehab in the NHL is not bad either. <laughs> Catered uh, meals. He's probably not traveling, but hey, he's just hanging out, hanging out in Vancouver, and doesn't have to live in Utica. Exactly. Come on, we're not slamming Utica. Would you rather live in Utica or Vancouver? Well, I, ch- I could have chosen anywhere in the world, <laughs> and I chose to be here with you. There we go. Yeah. All right, let's get this pod started. Let's do it. This is the Canucks Pod with Safiar Shaw and Alex All. Welcome to the Canucks Pod. It is Bick Nazar filling in for Sathyar Shah, who will be back next week. Uh, an important week, of course. It is Sadin week next week. Uh, and it is, of course, Alex Hall, who is the mainstay, our starting goalie here on the Canucks Pod. Ooh. Starting what? goalie. Well, I mean, what would it No, it's I guess it's that makes Sath the assistant it's coach. A, uh, no, it's nice. It's nice to hear. Uh, a lot going on in uh, Canuck land right now. Uh, they just... Lost to uh, Boston. Recording this on a Thursday. Uh, tough loss. It's one of those games that fans really like, but it's a non-conference game. And while you do get up and you want to test yourself versus what the, the Boston Bruins are, uh, Canucks ultimately fall short. What uh, impressed you about that Bruins team? Well, they, their team game, which has been a strength of theirs, seems like forever. Um, they play a really strong team game. They've obviously got that high-end skill, but they, they're able to... It, look, any time that one of your best players is also your best defensive player, and that's Patrice Bergeron, like, you're in good shape. And I, I think that the, he's such a unique, special player and somebody that we've probably taken for granted in the league for a long time. And I know in Vancouver, they don't, don't love to hear praise on the Boston Bruins, mm-hmm. but hey, like, this is... If there's anyone I think you can like, it's probably him. Um, especially with what he's done for Canada over the years, but he's he's that helps you out because, and it's kind of like the the discussion in Detroit for so long when you when you think of Zetterberg and Datsuk, both those guys would play well both both directions. Bergeron really to me drives the bus for that team and their team game. Obviously, they've got guys who are more offensive. They they score more, more flashy. They just play a great team game, and they seem to have that right mix of that depth and that's a difficult thing to have in the cap world especially when you have some premier players on your team who you've got to pay and you've got to sort out and then you've got these these depth guys who know their role and they play and they just come at you wave after wave line after line what's fascinating about Bergeron is he's probably sacrificed offense for the sake of doing exactly that allowing other players to be that wave coming after wave do you see a version of Elias Pettersson maybe not sacrificing offense, but you just talked about like your best player being your best defensive player. That reality exists for Elias Pettersson. Yeah, it's it'll be really interesting to see if Pettersson ever elevates his defensive game to like Selkie caliber. You know, is is that the conversation we're going to have him in? Or is it going to be like, yeah, he's 
he's a guy you don't worry about in matchups because he's good enough defensively and he works hard defensively. And I, I'm impressed with the way he works to improve and get better defensively. But that's that's something where it'll be interesting. That'll be an interesting conversation to have in five, six, ten years. Like where does Pedersen's defensive game get to? And on one hand, a little bit is a guy like Bergeron has been able to sacrifice his offensive game because he's been with other really high-end offensive players throughout his career. Early on, he had some really dominant type offensive guys with like Mark Savard. And, and now it's a little bit different with, with Pasternak and, and Marchand. So he's, he's, it's okay to take a back seat, right? So part of that is the supporting cast as well. And, and Krejci's there to shoulder yeah. some of the offensive load now, right? For sure. Uh, JT Miller made a comment after that game talking about, you know, essentially that, the, yeah, yes, they have some skill, but the Canucks have to kind of frame their own mind that, hey, we're also a good team, that we should be able to hang with them. I don't think they're anything special. I mean, they're a good hockey team, but I'm not sitting here saying like, oh man, we're playing this team tonight. We're a good hockey team. Like we should have swag about that. We've proven that we could beat any team in the league. So I don't think anybody was worried about what team we were playing tonight. We didn't, you know, they won more battles than us and worked harder. And, and you know, what's interesting about that too is it's kind of one of the first comments in years where we've heard a Canucks player kind of taking ownership of what he believes this team is. Yeah, I, I liked it. Yeah. I liked it a lot. And I, I, you know, you can always read so many different ways into comments from a player uh, or a coach post game or what, like, like to me, that was a message to the other Canucks players, not a shot at Boston. Absolutely. And, and I think that's where you need to look at it. It's like, Hey, we should, and, and part of it isn't necessarily, it's, it's almost more what they're capable of, not necessarily what they're doing. If that makes sense, it's like, hey, we can we can get to that level. We should think of ourselves in that conversation. And maybe some days of the week they do, and maybe some days of the week they're that still wavers a little bit because it's not quite solidified in their mind in terms of who they are, how they need to play, that they can just believe that they're going to get it done and have that confidence to push it across the finish line, game after game after game, or to come back against really good teams. So to me, it was it was a player who's who's been around. Um, he, he sees what they're capable of, sees the potential in the group, sees some of these really good individual parts that are coming together as a team, but they're not quite there yet. But, you know, what's, what's the shape of the mold as you're in this forging process? How are you pushing it through and, and what is it you want to become? That's something where JT Miller has really impressed me as a leader on this group right from day one coming in, which isn't always easy to do as a new player. And... It's again, this is a sign of leadership and a sign of the potential that this club has. It's, it's, I think there's a famous quote is if I accept you as you are, I make you worse. If I treat you as you, what you can become, then we can become something greater overall. And it's, it's one of those moments of, you know, JT Miller's been on a lot of really strong teams. Does he look at a team around him and say, I don't know if they're ready to believe in what they actually are and what they can, you know, move to something greater? He might, he might, right? Like, and then these are the, you can, you can look at this so many different ways, but that's why I like it because it's when somebody who is playing as well as he is, is leading from the front and trying to bring everyone along and, and it's still very much an, I, an identity in the process, right? They're building this identity of what they are and who they're going to be for the next decade, hopefully. And so we on the outside want to watch something that's good for the next decade and, and the players want that to be the same case. They've got to make it. They've got to create it. That's why I like those comments. I like the fact that he, it's it's showing belief in your teammates. It's showing belief in yourself, but it also is sort of setting a standard publicly of what they need to do to be successful. What's funny too is you put a timeline there. You said a decade. Yeah. That no, look, I, yeah. I agree with you, right? We're, we're generally talking about a franchise that wants to sustain success, and that forming an identity. We're in year one of trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And the fans, I think, expect, hey, by game 68, you'll know what they are. But you're talking about a decade here. And that's right because you're going to see an 11, 12-year career from Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. But forging an identity takes time. It's not just going to get flipped on. Like, I'm not even sure if, it, if what this culture of this version of the Canucks happens this year. But there's an expectation that it should happen this year. Well, Right or wrong? Th- this this year's group will be this year, but when you really look at that core group of players, like I mean, what's in your mind? I, I mean, I know the, I know the, what the career span was, but what was the? How long was the Sedin era? You know, right? Decade ish, somewhere in there. Like you know, probably shorter. Yeah, yeah. But you look at it and you say, and, I, and that's an interesting one because 
they're they're a little bit unique in that, and I know we'll touch on them a little bit later because next week is their their big week. I have a funny story on the length of that week as well. We can talk about it later, but um, they're a little bit different because they came on the they joined and rose to prominence during another really good era. Like they overlap, right? But when you really think about it, like yeah, you want these young players to be when you when I think of Chicago, when I think of Boston, what they've been able to do, it's decade-ish of being not not a cup contender every single year, but they're good players being really good players and being able to compete over a sustained period of time. And that is, that's what you, you hope for as a fan. You want that sort of era. You don't just want a blip. Uh, we should touch on a couple of league things as well. By the way, uh, we're going to talk to Eric Brewer as well coming up. Long-time NHLer, 16 years, just got inducted into the PC Hockey Hall of Fame. Well, the induction ceremony is in July, but just announced that he will be one of the honorees uh, this season, along with Matthias Holand, uh, guy he played with in yep. Bay, and a guy obviously you know very well. Uh, so that's really, really fantastic. Uh, that's coming up on the back half. Across the league, the Toronto Maple Leafs, they finally make a trade for a backup goalie, uh, Michael Hutchinson. I, I do feel like he's going to be a scapegoat when that team isn't really set up to succeed. Like Freddie Anderson's having an okay year statistically, but he's getting bombarded with chance after chance. And well, they're you, a very poor defensive team. Yeah. And, and, and they're missing their top defenseman. And, and like, <laughs> it feels like Michael Hutchinson's going to get a lot of the, the yeah. rage from fans when that's a tough spot to be in. So they go to try to correct it. They bring in Jack Campbell uh, in a trade. And just the the importance of that backup goalie, how, how stable uh, – as a stabilizing force they can be. I mean, I'm I'm gonna throw it out there. I, I think I know the correct answer. Maybe maybe you'll prove me wrong. Is like is there a team that you look at and you're like, all right, this this team's a threat that doesn't have solid secondary goaltending? Like I don't I can't think of one off the top of my head. Like I you really look at it and and you say it's maybe it's not as important in the moment in the playoffs because you're gonna ride your number one. Mm-hmm. But but you have to get there. You have to get there, but also like you need your number one fresh. Yeah. Right. So you need your number one playing at a level and rested enough that he can he can go for another two months. And that if you're a true contender. Now, when you look at Toronto, they're not they're not they I think they thought they were built to be a contender. When you look at their high end offensive players, you look at the money going to the top end guys, um, and you look at their goaltending from a starter position, they should be a contender, but the back end isn't strong enough. They don't play structured defensively well enough. And you asked me what impressed me about Boston. It's the exact same thing that is unimpressive about Toronto. The lack of team play, right, with the Leafs. Like, I, I just don't see a team that's committed to defense. So you're putting your your goaltending in a really tough spot. And when you have one of the top guys in the league, you can get away with it. But puts the backup in a really tough spot, especially if he barely plays. Like, it's it's... You, you hardly play him, and then when he does play, it's because of injuries. So it's like, all right, you got to play every night now, kid. Like, hope it works. And, and you're going in cold. Basically. Yeah, it's it's a really tough spot to be in. I, I feel for, for Hutchinson, that's a tough spot. Um, I will say this, like, who knows? Like, this this type of trade for Campbell and 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 Clifford, too. Like, a guy who's won. Like, I know that's that's a that's a thing that, that the analytics community sometimes scoffs at. Like, that experience, and is it... I don't know what the value is, but when you're a team that needs to also find a way, find an identity, find a winning formula, a winner coming into the locker room can be helpful. That can be something that helps set tone and helps sort of set standard. Um, but but Jack Campbell could definitely help that team because he's a guy who he's he's gone through his own struggles personally in terms of being a first-round pick to Dallas that not really working out and then refining his game under that goalie factory that is the Los Angeles Kings and the way they're set up and they create goal t- they develop and resurrect goaltenders that could be a really interesting pickup for the Leafs and and again they're not looking for Devin Dubnik to come into the Minnesota Wild and and be a Vesna finalist and save their season they're looking for someone to come in and and give NHL caliber backup goaltending and get some points and teams that are successful, teams that are viewed as contenders, have two guys, two guys that are going and can play well. To what you're saying, like he's not there to save the season, yeah. but it's going to get framed as, because of where we are in, in, in the course of the season, yeah. it's going to get framed as, hey, he's there to save the season. Were you ever put yeah. in a spot like that? 
Well, it's interesting because I didn't realize it at the time, but at the year-end meeting, I was I was told that by the GM that you know essentially what I was able to do and come in like did in a way save the playoffs. When you think about how how much a point can matter, if you make it or miss it by the playoff line by a couple of points, a game or two by your backup goalie can really really matter and. You get the benefits from your starter being rested, but also if you can get points out of those games, it's huge. And and so when I got picked up by the Bruins uh, in 07, 08, um, and that year they were, it was sort of the first, the first year back in the playoffs for the Bruins that started sort of this, this run we've seen here. And obviously it led to the Stanley Cup win over the Canucks, but it's, it's been a fairly long stretch of the team being very good. So really the first playoff, I, let's call it the, in the Chara and Bergeron era. And it was a really interesting situation I was put in. I was in the minors. I, I was with Phoenix, and then Phoenix picked up Brzgalov off waivers. They sent me down to San Antonio. My wife's about to give birth in like five weeks, and um, the Bruins are rolling with Tim Thomas and Manny Fernandez. Manny Fernandez goes down, has season-ending back surgery, and they call up Tuka Rask, who's a young hot prospect with the with the Bruins, but he's, he's in his first or second year with Providence, and they want him playing every night. They don't want him sitting on the bench in the NHL. And I remember, like, thinking that I, my agent told me, like, Boston's a possibility, but they kind of want to – they just found out that uh, Manny needs surgery, and they're just going to kind of feel it out. And I remember that the day I moved into the house in San Antonio, we got cable hooked up, and I, I don't even know – what channel it was and why in San Antonio, Texas, there's hockey highlights on, but I'm watching this, this Bruins game. And not only does Tim Thomas get hurt in that game, but I feel like Tuka Rask lets in a weak goal in overtime to lose it. And I'm on a flight at 6am because I got traded to the Bruins and I go in there and I, I play, uh, I know you were looking up some numbers. I, I play a bunch of games in a row. I don't remember what it was. I mm-hmm. remember, I remember going into Toronto and beating the Leafs and it being like, it was hockey night. Um, and I remember feeling like I'm back. And it was, it was, I'd already, there's so many things about my career that that year mattered for because I'd already come to this point in my life where I talked to my wife and we're just like, you know what? We don't need hockey anymore. Like, we'll be fine without it. I'm in the minors. Like, how did this happen? Uh, pretty low spot, but also moved past it in terms of needing it. And then I went on a really good run. At the end of the year, uh, Peter Shirelli, he, in his post-year uh, meeting, he, he said, you know, thank you. Like, you you saved our season. You, you were able to give us points at a really important time because I think Timmy missed the next couple of weeks. So it was great. I got to play a bunch of games in a row and get my confidence and get the team's confidence in me, the coaches, the players. So that later in the year when, when I mean, Timmy had a fantastic season. And so when he's playing a lot, it was fine for me to sit. I didn't have to wait. It, it wasn't like, oh, I, I need... I need my third start. It was like, okay, now I'm waiting on my 12th. I've got good numbers. Your confidence is high. But it's important. Those points come coming from the backup are really important. And this is an important stretch for the Leafs. Uh, pretty good memory. It was hockey night. Uh, and just to you know, frame this, if, if you're a backup goaltender, what's a reasonable expectation? Just point percentage-wise, what are you trying to achieve? I don't even, I, I don't even know. Just, like it's just, I guess. Like, I, I'm not even sure what it I, is. Well, but. some people are like, oh, just, we just want our backup to go 500. We want, I, All right. Well, I that, year, like that year in Boston, yeah. 23 games played, 23 points. Yeah. Right? And, and that's NHL 500, and that's pretty much what you want. And that's what we're talking about when it comes to Jack Campbell. It's can you do just that? Yeah. And hopefully Freddie Anderson can take them the rest of the way. Uh, Sedin Week coming up. Sedin mm-hmm. has a story. Uh, well, just, I, I ran into Daniel yesterday, and I, hadn't, I haven't seen him in a while. We've both been really busy, and, and I said, oh, I... I said, are you, have you been busy? He says, I haven't seen you. You've been busy. I said, yeah, I've been crazy busy. Have you? He's like, no. <laughs> I'm like, well, you'll be busy next week. He's like, yeah. And then I'm like, I'm like a week. Eh? He's like, yeah. I'm like, you were good. But I mean, a week, that's a little, <laughs> you guys were good. That's a little much. And then I thought about it later. I'm like, you know what? Combined, they gave the organization, like, those are 40 of the best years this organization has seen. So, okay, I'll give, I'll give them a week. I'll give him a week, but I'm I'm really looking forward to it. There's a little alumni um, sort of reception dinner before the game Monday night. Uh, I'm going to go to that, and it's that'll be that'll be cool. I think to see a lot of people that are coming into town for it, but also just have some time with with Danny and Hank. I know they'll have no time for not much time for each individual, but they're they're such special people, and and that's I think back to it, and I'm like, you know what? And I said it at the time, and I still believe it, and probably now that there's the beauty of nostalgia in play. 
their last game at Rogers Arena is one of the greatest sporting events I've ever been to. And it's it's so cool that it's not just great athletes, that it's great people that that orchestrated that and that were the the authors of it. So pretty cool. It'll be it'll be an emotional week, I think, for a lot of Canucks fans. When I when I, when I hear some of the stuff behind the scenes of who, like the people that are coming into town, what they have planned. It's gonna be some cool stuff and it'll be it'll be cool to talk about and looking forward to hopefully getting to to chat with some of the some of the marquee former Canucks that are coming in and, and see what we can bring on the on the Canucks pod for that. Plenty of good content coming up when Sat returns on the Canucks pod, but yes, that's he's why still he's away. resting up. Yeah, he's he, resting up because he's he knows it's a big week. <laughs> he's he's kind of pulled the uh uh, the OV, right? He's like, I'll skip the All-Star game. I'll get ready for the big show uh, coming up uh, soon. But coming Today, up on this kind of Today's the All-Star game? All right. Cool. <laughs> uh, coming up is well, Eric we got a Hall Brewer. of Famer. It's yeah. a Hall of Famer coming up. Yeah, so. perfect. Yeah. Uh, 16-year NHL Eric Brewer coming up here on the Canucks Spot. Welcome back to the Canucks Pod. It is Bick Nazar and Alex Ald this week on the Canucks Pod. Uh, and pleased to be joined now with uh, the latest member of the BC Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, played with the Prince George, Prince George Cougars and also part owner now of the Prince George Cougars. It is Eric Brewer, a longtime NHLer. Thank you very much for uh, joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, first off, uh, congratulations on the uh, the induction. Uh, what does that mean to you to go into that hall? Uh, it's quite a, quite a nice thing, to say the least. I don't know if we... Uh we as players really, you know, you don't really uh, uh, recognize that as something that's kind of on the map or on the horizon. I think you just play and live your life and hang with your teammates and spend some family time. Uh, but I was, uh, it was a pleasant surprise when I uh, when I got the call. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, Bick, just, you know, Eric and I, we never played together, mm-hmm. but we've gotten quite close over the past couple of years. Our uh, kids go to school together and there's a couple guys in town, former players, that I've sort of got to know post-career, and Manny Maholtra is one, and Eric Brewer is another. So it's I've been bugging Eric for some time about trying to get him on air, on the podcast, something, and then the Hockey Hall of Fame came up, and he's quick to point out it is the BC Hockey Hall of Fame. Don't get it. <laughs> don't say it's the Hockey Hall of Fame. But, hey, a great honor nonetheless, and I, I found this as a, a way to get him in. Get him in the door and join us and uh, – he asked us what we were going to talk about today, and I said, well, it's all you, buddy. So uh, the floor is yours, Eric. What do you have to say? No, in all seriousness, I think it's it's interesting. I want to start with one of the other members you're being inducted with, and that's a friend of yours, Matthias And I didn't realize how close you guys were until uh, I attended your surprise retirement party, and Matthias Oland actually was there. He, he flew in uh, just for it. And, uh, you know, does it mean something more going in with a former teammate and a buddy as well? Yes, um, I have uh, uh, nothing but good things to say about Ole. Uh, goes without saying, he was a fantastic player, but uh, he was really just a great teammate. Uh, he was a real, he is still obviously a real, he's got great presence around people and he's got a real, real nice energy about him. Uh, you know, wonderful family. And so they're easy to be around and, and, uh, yeah, there's lots of energy. He's got lots to offer. He he's a bit understated, I think, uh, for what most people get to uh, to see of him. Obviously, his his game was maybe not understated, but um, you know, he's quite a funny guy. He's got lots to offer a group, and uh, so sort of like you. Yeah, yeah, certainly, uh, certainly not a public personality plus, but. <laughs> But I, I think that's kind of that's a lot of a lot of the hockey environment is a bit understated. Uh, I'm not sure it does uh, everyone uh, uh, the proper service, but I think that's what makes the the guys so great. Is you know it is more more uh, more about stuff behind the scenes and and uh, having a good time with your teammates and grinding it out with your teammates and maybe not as much spectacle as as uh, some other opportunities. Well, I think this is a pretty cool honor for you and a former teammate of mine as well, Matthias Holen. So pretty cool to see you guys going together. Like I said, this is this is about you. And I, I think about it and I say, I look back at your sort of your life, I guess. And one thing I like to ask former players is, do you remember sort of first falling in love with the game? What would the first rink have been that you skated on as a kid? Uh, my dad took me uh, to skating lessons, like the public skating. Uh, I was born in Vernon, 
Um, and we lived there till I was five, I think, or just finished kindergarten. My dad worked for uh, for Telus or BC Tel at the time, and and then ended up getting transferred to uh, to Ashcroft following. But I, he took me skating um, as a kid on Saturdays in the winter in in uh, Vernon. How old would you have been? I think I started when I was three. Three. I don't think yeah. it, so. Pretty late. Uh, <laughs> I don't think the sessions were overly long, from what I from what I understand. I think some of the days were quite uh, were quite quick. I I perhaps had a bit of a a bit of a, a bit of a temper with being really crappy on the ice, and so <laughs> I think uh, I think we got home quicker than than my mom would have expected some days. But you know, I think in those days too, it was a very analog world, and so you get your your rotary TV and you watch Hockey Night in Canada on the weekends, and you know, there's the option for a young kid back uh, back in the early '80s was much different than it is now, and so. Um, it was hockey in winter and, and baseball in the summer. So you played both sports? Yeah, I, I played both. Uh, I mean, ultimately, we played anything that we could yeah. as a kid. Um, and so we played baseball till um, probably grade eight, I think. We played fastball. There was no, there was no hardball uh, in Ashcroft when we moved there. So we played fastball, uh, which, which we loved and... And hockey through the winter. I've been asked this question a lot. I don't know if you have, who the best athlete I ever played with. And I, I often come back to Daniel Alfredson. And the reason is he was gifted physically, but so smart that he would figure out a way to be really good at whatever. Who, who's that one? Is there one person that stands out for you in your playing career? No, probably, probably not. Um, I think there's a lot of guys who are good, good at many things. Um, you just kind of, honestly, you just kind of get used to it. Yeah. And so you're in this environment where you're, where you're with, uh, the best. Yeah. You're <laughs> with the best. Like it's, and so, you know, like most professions, if you got 700 of the best in, yeah, in one environment, you're, you're probably going to have a few ringers and, uh, you know, the differences, um, the differences at that level, um, while probably to an outsider are a bit more minute, it, it's very understood. Uh, in the field. So you get 700 of the best players in the world or whatever field it is. And while it doesn't seem like the gap is that big in the grand scheme of things, the players identify it. They know that there is just because subtle little things always add up to a lot in, the, in that in that environment. Well, that's always fascinating to me too about the idea of, you know, every player that comes through junior is, you know, one of the best players on the team when they go to the next level. And then you get to that next level and, you know, some players have were previously scorers now have to become third line players and, and understand that if I want to survive in the league, I've got to play a certain role. And you know, knowing those gaps within the culture of what you're talking about of, hey, I, I'm, I'm aware that I know what I am and I, I know my limitations. I know how to help a team to go succeed further. It, was there an understanding to you that at times you knew how to facilitate your career to, hey, have you, you played 16 seasons, right? That's a long time and you knew all the little nuances you had to fill in for a team? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a combination of things, right? Like as your game develops, as you, as you mature as a, as, a young, as a young player, you get a feel for what you are. I think uh, certainly, you know, 25 years ago, you got a bit of a different feedback than you do now. You know, like it wasn't unusual for, you know, mm -hmm. to be put in your place. Like if you had a... Uh, a bit of an off stretch in junior like it wasn't like a hey why don't we uh why don't we just uh work this out a little bit like they just told you how it was and now it's a much different environment and and probably for the better anyway but um i think you had a different feedback back then um and and you know like if you get to a certain level of game you you do have a little bit of internal uh awareness like okay what am i doing good like if you're not asking yourself what am i doing good or what am i not doing good and how can i can improve it you're, you're probably you're probably missing something you're in the wrong place yeah, yeah. and, and it's, it's going to start out for you anyway yeah and, and there's nothing wrong with that right like it's like your first path is not always the one that's going to be ultimately yours so i think that's just part of the part of the, the process do you do you specifically remember crucial points in time you're like I, I'm not maybe what I thought I was I need to change or, or this is what I need to do to to continue like because you go being you're a high pick 
out a junior. So there's, there's certain pressures that come along with that. But was there a time in your career where you're like, you needed to adapt or you needed to change? And it was, it was a big moment. It wasn't just small incremental changes. I think recognizing like it's quite hard to get into the league. Like I was pretty fortunate. I played at 19. Um, you know, and there's so many factors that go into these types of things. Like where's the team at? Like yeah. where do you fit in in the, in the depth chart? And, you know, I never felt I had too much expectation on me. Um, but again, like we didn't, it wasn't like there was a ton of information anyway. Like, right. um, you know, you read the stats in the newspaper and that was that was kind of it, right? And so, you know, you weren't inundated with your buddies texting you ridiculous <laughs> videos of you not actually that great, <laughs> but pretending that you are or, or you know, like... It's a lot of pressure now on kids, right? Like, lost so much information. It's unbelievable what these kids, like, we talk about this all the time uh, with our junior team. Like, like, they worry about stuff I never even thought about. You know, it wasn't, it didn't exist. And so you didn't think about it. And it was just much more simple. Um, it, it's hard to be a young kid. I, I think it's up to the parents to, to guide them into the avenues that are, 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 are best served and, and not overcooking some things. When, did, when were you sort of like, all right, like the Western Hockey League is calling? Like, was, is that like a surprise? I mean, I know you get drafted. Well, like, uh, it- yeah. So interesting story. We, we, we had... Um, I think I was in grade nine. Sister was in grade eight. Uh, I think we were just moving to Kamloops. Kamloops, uh, uh, hour east of of, uh, of Ashcroft. Ashcroft's eighteen hundred people. Um, Kamloops obviously was eighty or eight or eighty five thousand at that time. So that was a big move for us. Yeah. Um, and uh, just because we were running out of opportunity, like kids start going to work and in, in high school, right? And so baseball team gets a little bit thinner, and and you're starting to you know, contrary to what you have here in Vancouver now, like you, we just, we were starting to run out of things to do. Right. Um, we're here. It's, it, you know, you name an activity, make one up. There's a beginner level, there's a competitive level, and then there's an elite level. And you, you literally can make up the activity, whether it's art or martial arts or music, sport, you name it for a kid, they can do it. And so there we moved the camelops. The, Bantam draft, the Western Hockey League Bantam draft was still was still going, but because, you know it's not like everyone had a Rolodex of mm-hmm. of all your info, right? Like we had a house number, <laughs> and my dad worked for <laughs> BC Tell, and so every night like you'd have dinner, he he was tired of hearing. He was a uh, worked on the on the poles, like he he had a ladder truck, and so he he had this thing like he would he didn't want the phone. He hated being interrupted at dinner. So, like, if somebody called, he'd just pick up the phone and click it. Or he would just <laughs> take the phone off the hook, right? This was all rotary phones too, right? And so um, we, we we were in the process of moving to Kamloops. So I actually didn't even know I got drafted until the scout at the time for um, for the Cougars, Al Clark. He shows up. He's a, a police officer, big, tall guy. And he just showed up at our new in house uniform? in Kamloops. I think he did. I wasn't even be, there, right? Like I didn't even know this. We I'm didn't here to even see Eric. <laughs> we didn't even know all they Sirens knew. I wasn't. In, they didn't know. Like we didn't know anybody. So I was like, uh, I think I forget which one of my parents was talking to. Whatever. Like, oh yeah, you got drafted by the by the Prince George Cougars. Or at the, they were Victoria at that time. And uh, we're just like, I get home from school. I was like, oh okay. <laughs> I guess I got drafted by the Prince George or the Victoria Cougars at the time. So it's. You know, like you, and then from there, it's again. You watch a few games, with, you know, Vic playing playing camps with that in those days, and you you kind of just go through it, much like the families do now. Where do you have some other opportunities? What's important? My parents are big drivers of school, and so that was going to be first and foremost, and the hockey is going to be a bonus. And so you start going through your options, which were a little bit different back then too, right? Like it, yeah, the NCAA opportunities. Um, you know, like they were a bit more, you had to do one or the other. You couldn't, you know, fl- you know, flop between the two or come back later like some of the guys do. And so we just, just sit down as a family and take a look at what your opportunities are and decide what you think is the best fit. And, uh, and we went with it. So it was, you would have played, where did you play after the year after you were drafted? Was that in Kamloops? I played in Kamloops. My first year, yeah. first year I played AAA. Yeah. So that would have been midget. Or, or second year Bantam, yeah. Bantam. So you play Bantam, and then you're off, and then the team moves from Victoria to Prince George that year. Or did you? You didn't play in Victoria, did you? 
did not play in yeah. Vic. Yeah, so they played moved, one. They yeah. played one year in Prince, um, um, in the old building, and then the year I I moved up there, the second year the team was in Prince, I, uh, um, I I made the team, and we were in the new building. Yeah, so like I, I just think about it. So you start looking at the timeline on this guy Bick. It's like Ashcroft single A, a year in Kamloops, uh, a couple years in Prince George. Yeah, th- three three, three years in Prince, in Prince yeah. George. So like within your, five what years, is it, you know, fifth yeah. fifth overall, yeah. fifth overall in the NHL. Nineteen New York. Like, and then you start thinking of the cities, and this is something I wanted to get at too. It's like Ashcroft, Kamloops, Prince George, New York. Yeah, Long Island. I, yeah, so, I know it's I know it's not Manhattan, but it's still like oh anyone, no no still, like it was it was it that's was a, a, that's a shock. That's a big difference. Yeah. That's a big difference. And like I, you know, obviously you know grew up watching the Oilers, yeah. you know the eighties Oilers, and and you know like I liked where it was. It was great. You yeah. know, like like Camus was a big place. You know, pretty sure it's just <laughs> a big place. And <laughs> and so you know you start to get a little bit of experience. So when you're traveling in the Western League. And then you start to get on the radar a little bit. And so you're having different conversations and you're realizing like, wow, that's, it's a little bit bigger out there than I thought, um, which is part of the path of a young, of a young athlete for whatever sport now. And uh, I mean, there's so many stories about, about being 19 and, and 20 and 21 in the, in the National League. That let's hear them. <laughs> <laughs> let's not. <laughs> but, you know, like I remember, you know, on Long Island, um, they brought me to the rink at, at MSG because they're like, hey, you've never been in the city, so maybe we should just take you to the rink and kind of get you just acclimatized to the city. And I was like, sure, whatever. And you go there and you're on the, you know, you're on the bus and, you know, the the, the rink is elevated from, from street level. Mm-hmm. And, and you go there and it's quite a storied venue. Even for a young guy, you're like, oh, yeah, this is this is what it looks like on TV and this is a pretty awesome place. And, and you know, Manhattan's Manhattan, so it's just, it's just bumping and... And it was it was eye opening for sure. What were those first two seasons like? Uh, you know, just trying to navigate that of you know understanding a bigger city and then dealing with coaches. And, and I think there was a coaching change even in your first and second years. Oh, right? I had so many coaching changes over <laughs> hockey. It was crazy. GMs, coaches. It was like, yeah, um, we had we had some really good older guys in uh, on Long Island. Like, and they were and they uh, remember it was an older league back then. And so teams were typically older. And so they only had a couple young guys, couple, three young guys per team. And so, um, um, you know, like, uh, like Trevor Linden was, was there. Uh, Rich Pilon was there. Joe Sacco, Scotty Lachance, Mike Huff was there my first year. Um, Just a lot of really great guys. And I'm, and I'm not getting to them all, but you know, like um, uh, Brian Smolinski was another, and they were really awesome. Like they were really outgoing. You know, like you would, there was, there was, you know, they didn't cater meals at then, right? Like they did, there was nothing. You go to the rink, you play hockey, you leave. And so the guys would have lunch on the way out and then guys go back to their families or do whatever. But then the, I think some of the, some of the wives, they felt bad for this 19 year old kid from out West. They're just like, my gosh, he's <laughs> a little <laughs> out of his of element. Yeah. So like I'd get, I'd get calls for, for dinner and stuff. And, and so, and cell phones had just come out. And so Gino Ojek, he was another one. So I played oh, yeah, with Gino. Yeah. yeah, was just a wonderful teammate, just a fantastic guy. And so him and I, I remember we go got cell phones the one day. He's like, hey, we're going to go get phones. <laughs> I'm like, sure, Gino, let's go get phones. Like whatever those things are. You know, like, so we go into this place. and Was, get your, was your dad pissed? Did you got a cell phone? <laughs> it's just like it was <laughs> well, hanging up during dinner. Well, it's not like you talked to yeah. your, you know, like yeah. it was, yeah, we still had calling cards then, right? Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. So it, there was such a change. And so I remember getting a cell phone, me and Gino and his buddy, we go and get cell phones. Well, I don't even think I could get one because he didn't have American credit. And so it was just so many things that you're like, I'm like, okay, well, I've got some money here. Why don't we just get a phone and carry on? So anyhow, we end up getting these things, but I'd, I'd get wives of the team calling and say, hey, what are you doing for dinner tonight? And I'd be like, probably not much, you know? <laughs> <laughs> probably makes, you know, like, and so you're going through that. And But the guys and guys and gals in Long Island were, were awesome. Like, they were, they really reached out. And while we weren't that good, um, it was quite eye-opening. You had a good time. You weren't that good, you had a good time. Yep. So, uh, what, what was your first trade? Where'd you go after Long Island? Uh, Edmonton. Edmonton. I traded at the draft in the summer. Was that was that a? Uh, were you expecting that, or was it? I'd heard shot? some rumblings about it. The uh, um, were the Islanders changing owners, or 
I, I kind of forget at this point, but I got traded at the draft, went to Edmonton. Uh, I was super excited about it. Yeah, I mean, I grew up an Oilers fan, yeah. and, and I was going to be back out west. And Did that feel like going home a little bit? Uh, yeah, I think I think a little bit. Um, it was a bit of a younger team, um, um, perhaps as a franchise a bit more stable at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a better fit for me personally. And from there, you know, like I had, like Kevin Lowe was a GM. Craig Metavish was a coach. Charlie Huddy was a D coach. Craig Simpson was there. Billy Morris. And these guys really understood what it was like to be a young player in the National right. Hockey League. And they were, they were fantastic. Like they, they got it and they were, they were hard, but they, you could have a conversation with them and it, a lot of things made sense. Did you feel more comfortable, you know, cause you're, I mean, relative to New York, Edmonton's a lot smaller, right? Did you feel more comfortable just in your overall surroundings that you know, that's when you really started to peak? I, I think I learned a lot in New York. And so you learn to be a bit more independent. And I think for the most part, I was fairly independent anyway, certainly not polished, but, um, I could get some stuff done and, you know, I wasn't... You could get a phone. I could get a phone. <laughs> get a I, could, phone I could get yeah. myself to the rink. I could, you know, like, you know, like nowadays it's like, oh, if the, if the kids don't have a catered meal, they're not going to make it today. And it's like, well, they'll, <laughs> they'll be fine. Like, they can... They can Google it on the phone. Well, it's fine. I mean, come on. Like, how hard does it make a bowl of oatmeal go to the rink, you know? <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, it's, 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 but, a, but I think it's a different it, game. But it is part of the, you know being a young player like you got to learn how, what things are working what things are not and you're trying to get feedback from your older teammates and trying to be in the mix and see what's working for guys who who've done real well and and just kind of get yourself in the mix first playoffs was with edmonton right yeah yeah we played dallas um it was uh it was aggressive out there it was um it was quite exciting like the, again and again like not to harp on like how much different it was but it was considerably like it was way more hooking and holding oh. and guys are just mauling players out there like like if you weren't breaking sticks like it was something was wrong and certainly some of the guys were going through quite a few of them <laughs> i'm not saying that, that maybe the games were as good as we thought they were you know like it's certainly a better you know there's a lot more things to you know like the the best players in the league were still the best players in the league but a little bit more space maybe would have been a bit helpful would it have, would it have helped you or hurt you and you're like, do you, do you think I was, I, you know what? I covered a fair bit of ice. Big wing, wingspan. Yeah. You know what? I, uh, I covered a fair bit of ice, so I didn't, I don't think it was going to, it was going to affect me too much. But you liked, you liked getting after it a bit too. Well, I think, <laughs> I think if you're having an off night, sometimes it's, it's, it's <laughs> nice to have something else to fall back on. <laughs> certainly not pretending that I was the most aggressive guy out there. There was certainly some guys that certainly, um, would not be playing many games now. Let's put it that way. But that's true. Yeah. It, um, yeah. Well, it's it's the evolution of the sport, right? Every all sports really. They, the only they grow constant. And change. Yeah. The only constant is change. Uh, you went to the Olympic team when you were in Edmonton. Yep. Were, were you that that O two team? Right. Were, were you aware, just like, the weight of expectation, from a country in that Olympics? I was pretty young. I was twenty two. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of came out of nowhere. Um, at the expense of, of not having playoff success in Edmonton, I got to play world championships. And so they got to see me on the big ice and it helped. And he just said he covered a lot of it. So. And, and I like <laughs> yeah. to think I covered a lot of it. How, how effective or efficiently that's, that's a whole nother pod, but um, so he's coming back. He's coming back for that one. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but you know, like I had like Kevin Lowell was, was on the staff and, uh, and some of the other guys had gone through on the world championship stuff as well. So that stuff helps, right? Like, and if you can play on the big ice, it is a different game on the big ice. Um, and it, it, it feels different. It feels bigger. And so there's some nuances that, that maybe, uh, that worked for me, but, um, it was just, you're 22 years old, half, half the league doesn't even know who you are basically. And, and you're able to get up and down the ice and you're getting a good look. And I was starting to, starting to trend up a little bit. And, uh, and, and a little bit of luck too, for sure. Were you a bit wide-eyed walking to the locker room with you know, Mario and all those guys? Not really, actually. Uh, I think you're aware of it, and there's certainly some mystique. Uh, I'd be lying to say otherwise, but like, there's a reason why those guys are that good and, and why they are 
everyone around them gets better is because they make people feel like they're like you'd have a conversation like that. basically almost the whole team's a hall of fame player and so like if you had a conversation with any of those guys it'd be just like us sitting here right now or if you know you had breakfast with whomever like it was just a very normal thing they'd ask you stuff about the games like hey what'd you think about the game i'm like does it really matter you know? <laughs> but but they were it mattered to them to know where everybody else was at with it and so they could get a feel and really gauge like that's why those guys are great right like individual talent you know, they have a certain level of confidence, but they were also very present to the fact that it wasn't just about them and that there were other things in play. And a lot of them have had, you know, Stanley Cup winners. And, you know, I remember a couple guys were talking, oh, have you got your 500th goal yet? It's like, oh, or whatever the hell, you know, like, <laughs> it's like, I don't even have 500 shots. <laughs> and so, but those were, those were real conversations and where you're, that's that's the company that you're in and so they make you feel awesome and you kind of carry on and you try and provide what you know is your best fit and bring energy and and you know and those types of things because i find you have to have a mix of everything Mm -hmm. in order for you know some days it's just not a great practice day for whatever reason whether it's travel fatigue a lot of those guys played a ton and so it's like okay we're gonna practice today and we're gonna get after it and i'm gonna chase everything down and maybe you know Alma can just won't have to today, and maybe that's better for us tomorrow. You know? who, who is your D partner? Did you have a couple? Of I played with Rob or? Blake, and I played with Al McInnes. Yeah, I kind of, kind of, not bad. Blew through it, you know. <laughs> you know, just retrieve a few pucks if you can, and and move it on. There was a moment in that tournament that everyone remembers. I mean, I remember exactly where I was. It's the, it's Belarus, Sweden, right? It goes off Tommy Salo's helmet. Your teammate at yep. the time. What was that like going? Or, I guess there's two points. Uh, what was it like for you guys when you found out Sweden loses? And what, what was it like for you to, to come back to Edmonton and interact with Tommy after that? Um, well, on one hand, I was like, wow. You know, like like Sweden was a very good mm-hmm. team. Um, and they were all familiar with playing on the big ice, like which is, you know, in a single game format, it makes a big difference. And... And that's the, the the big thing with these Olympic tournaments or these international uh, events is that a lot of them are single game format. And so in a seven game series, usually the best team wins. Um, but in a single game, that's not always the case. Um, I, you know, I think we wanted to play whoever. Um, I think we'd be lying to say that we're like, wow, Belarus and not Sweden. Um, I wasn't overly happy that it, the goal went in the way it did. Mm-hmm. You know, like Tommy had couple few fantastic seasons in Edmonton like he was he was off the charts good and some all-star games and stuff and so that you know you never like to see your teammates in a in a position like that and like crazy stuff happens that was a crazy play I mean you think about how many pucks have come with that guy um but you know like he was a good guy he was a good teammate and so you know you you deal with it and, and carry on um but uh yeah, I don't know how it would have went otherwise. Where does that whole O2 Olympics, I mean, the gold medal for Canada, it was, it was big for the country. Where does that rank for you in your career? Oh, it's 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 the event probably. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, remember like 9-11, it just happened too, right? Yeah. It had happened in, uh, in the fall. And so the amount of security in Salt Lake was just was astronomical. And so like you couldn't get anywhere fast. And so we actually didn't watch many events outside of, you know, what our daily was. And so I remember watching, you know, like you see all these world-class athletes defined as, um, you know, amateur athletes. Well, mm-hmm. it's just a ridiculous term because these are, they've spent their whole life training and like, and like these girls and guys, like they, like they know what they're doing. Like they're incredibly talented. They train, like you think about like, we're playing 80 games a year. They would train four years for one event. Mm-hmm. You know, and they would have some world championship, but it, it's a fraction of what we do. And so you always constantly get the reload. But like some of them, they got to sit on on results for a long time. And and uh, yeah, it was pretty impressive. Like there were some really, really impressive people around. Do you guys met, you know, manage to check out any of the uh, other events while in Salt Lake? I, I watched uh, some long track speed skating, um, which was which was which was quite interesting. Like they can get around the rink. Like it would be embarrassing to see the fastest <laughs> National Hockey League do that lap thing that the, they yeah. do at the skills thing. 
get abused by the, the speed skaters. It'd be a joke. Honestly, it'd be just, we would not, we'd be doing ourselves and the game a disservice by being out there with a Olympic level speed skater. Pick up any tips from them? I actually, the uh, swing or I, f- I forget. I think maybe it was uh, one of the athletes had brought their, uh, their skate in. And so yeah. I remember holding and, and looking at like an Olympic level uh, clap skate and you're like, they're way better athletes than you think they are because to skate like that on that piece of equipment, like there's no ankle support on those. Like it's, it's like they're fantastic athletes <laughs> on, on like, you know, like hockey skates are, are pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, that was interesting. It was interesting. You, you end up going to St. Louis as well. And, and the thing that fascinates me about St. Louis is it doesn't seem like a big city, but everyone seems to love playing there. What is it about that city that players just, you know, they get traded there and they, they sign there over and over again. They want to end their careers there. Uh, Midwest. People in Midwest are fantastic. It's very warm. Um, like you just feel like, like you're there. And, it, you know, people are very outgoing. Um, uh, lots of sports in the Midwest. St. Louis is a huge sports town, always has been. And, uh, yeah, I think they have maybe the second biggest alumni in the league of, of players and staying in, in St. Louis. That's, it's quite awesome. We, we weren't sure what to think, um, but it was, uh, it was a great place for us. How many years were you there? Six. Six. So what, was there... Some nostalgia, some that it tug at the heartstrings last year watching them win. I was super excited for them. There's yeah. some great people there, and um, we had some we had some not so great teams for a while. Like go to the lockout. Like I don't know if people remember, but you know uh, there was no salary cap back then, and so teams were crazy payrolls even back then, right? And so you had a lot of players, you know, on a big number. And so it really made it hard for teams, um, St. Louis being one of them, to kind of get under. Right, right, yeah. And so they lost a lot of veteran players, so Al retired. Uh, me and a couple kids got traded for Pronger. Uh, Scott Mellenby moved. Pavel Dimitra moved. Like, that, that's big change. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Joel had been let go just before the season ended. Uh, there was just so much change there, and, and the owner was, was exiting. Uh, after my first year. So it made it quite challenging there. Um, it was good for them. So long-winded story there, a bit of a rant, but um, <laughs> but yeah, so a lot of great people. Um, um, and I was just really happy for the city. You know, they lost their football team and it's just been awesome for them. Uh, before we get to post-retirement stuff, I do want to talk about something in, in Tampa Bay. So you're there and then Oland arrives after you were at the same time. No, he was before me. Okay. So he he wore number five. You wore number two. He wore number two here. Was there ever a, a thing between you guys of like, hey, maybe I'll, I'll no, switch back I, to my old number? I you know I was never a big number hound, I, um, and so I I forget how that went, but that was just what I was given, um, basically. And so I think I, we did talk. Well, I should bring it up again and just see. Um, I don't know why he didn't take. I, it. I think uh, Lucas Krychek may have worn two, but was he there when he was not there? Yeah. When Surprised Ole didn't switch back. Well, I don't think it's not. There's not a lot of maintenance with Ole, so I think once he kind of committed to one thing, he wasn't going to overthink it. Um, and it doesn't seem like he doesn't strike me as the type of guy who's going, "Hey, listen, I'll buy your jersey off you." You know, like it's, <laughs> it's like, "Hey, just give me a number. I'm, I just really like the National Hockey League. I'm going to play well. I'm going to carry on." That's it for sure. <laughs> you know, like there's been some transactions with with uh, numbers right over the years yeah. in certain sports. Like it's well, Kovalchuk just bought a. But a Rolex for a guy, right? In Montreal. Didn't he? Yeah, it sounds yeah. right. No, okay. No, okay. Never well, I, no, I'm, but no, I, like I I've heard who, about that over the was, years. And and obviously it's it's not a disrespectful thing. It's just yeah. it's just like in in the yeah. in the environment of sports, like some guys have a bit more superstition or connection to certain things, and it's just kind of understood. And if it's if it can work, like I know it uh, on some teams some guys change to help a guy out or if a guy was coming in and uh you know, you didn't really deal with it that much. You just kind of made it carry on. But Ole, uh, not a lot of maintenance. Uh, post-retirement, uh, what are you enjoying? It, it feels like you, you're clearly one of the guys that wants to stay behind the scenes and a bit quieter. Is, is that something that you were looking forward to in your post-retirement career? 
Well, I never really had any issues with privacy when I was playing, quite honestly. I didn't score enough goals. <laughs> um, so I think for me, it's just um, getting back to BC and trying to spend some time in the mountains. And uh, this is the closest we've been in a long time to, to families and uh, uh, having the, you know, my kids close to their cousins and, and uh, have those types of opportunities and grandparents involved. And um, yeah, we've been pretty active with what the kids are doing and being able to watch a lot. So it's we've been pretty privileged with that and um, trying to help a little bit with the team in Prince George in the Western League and trying to get our feet planted again and, and finally get on the, uh, on the uptick here. I think we're, we're not there yet, but we're, we're on the path. You mentioned Prince George and I, Think back to you talking about finding out you're, you're drafted, um, the decision to go. Did you, I mean, there's no way you could have known how instrumental that, that community would be in your life. I mean, you, you play junior there. You're now part owner of the Cougars. You meet your future wife there. Like, there's a lot still tied to that, that community for you. One of the greatest things that happened was going to Prince George. Um, the items you mentioned, plus I lived with the same built family for three years who I'm still super close with and treat me like a, like one of their kids. I don't, and I still ask my bill and mother all the time. I'm like, I'm like, Suzanne, like, like, why did you take a fourth kid? Like, what were you thinking really? <laughs> like why? And, uh, 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 Suzanne, my bill mother is a, is a, is a bleeding heart. And she's just one of the most wonderful humans. And she, I think she just felt bad. Like the assistant coach at the time was her cousin. And I think he, he, uh, he kind of, made her feel bad or something and my bill at daddy's super social guy great guy and so i asked him too and he you know he, so they got guilted into it and they, they got guilted yeah. into it they took me on and it's it's worked out amazing for me i don't know how if it's worked out as good for them but <laughs> <laughs> but you know like i i it it just it's been it's been an awesome place for me i still love going up and um you know with the hockey like we you go up for the hockey for sure um um, but it was never a vehicle to go to the National Hockey League. It was a vehicle for school, ultimately. And uh, it just happened to work out it in the positive way. You know, met my wife there, in-laws from there, some of our lifelong friends. Um, it's been great. You mentioned, you mentioned the vehicle to school, and this is something that we've, we've had a lot of conversations about, you and I. The misconception that, junior hockey in Canada, the Western Hockey League, the CHL is almost turning your back on an education. I, I couldn't let you come on here without giving you yeah, an opportunity well, to say your piece on that. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's a difficult decision to make for families and uh, one that we've all sat in the table with with some recruiters or some, some people and it, it's hard. It's really hard. I think, um, you know, some, some kids are... are a few kids are destined to, to move on for sure, um, but it's hard to really gauge that. And I think it's up to the families to have some honest conversations where they think their kids are going and to really understand what, what the avenues are. I, I think I think both are great routes. Um, um, I'm not going to slam one over the other. I think ours is a, is a very good route. I think the, we can do our league and, and perhaps the whole CHL a, a bit more service by really explaining what it is and, and that the opportunity, um, you know, for, for a year played as a year of schooling in your, in your home province or home state. Um, as a parent, I think that's a wonderful vehicle for, for opportunity down the road. And um, I think the, the, uh, the tier two NCAA opportunity is wonderful as well. And if that's the right fit, you should do that, but you should make sure you know what, what's all in front of you. Um, to make that decision because it it uh, it is big, but you know the, the school matters and the and the post secondary stuff is important. And if I'm not mistaken, last year WHL broke a record for most scholarship graduates last yeah. year. Well, the, the 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 kids have a period of time in which to in which to use it, so they can they can try the pro route for a bit, and uh, and then circle back. It is on a it is on the clock though, as it should be. Mm -hmm. Like it's not. It's, it's not an effective means of, of motivating or providing incentive for kids. And, and the teams, they are running businesses and, and they want to run them well. And so they need to have a little bit of finality with it. Um, but it's, it, it, you know, like there is a, a realization, like there's only, 
you start banging through some of the numbers, like there's 700 players in the National Hockey League, call it 50 or 60% are in North America. The United States is is improving their programs at, at a rampant pace. And so how many Canadian kids are going, you know, into these elevated levels of hockey and you start going through the numbers, like it's not that much. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to dissuade anybody mm-hmm. from from playing hockey and loving it, but you should play hockey to love it. You love the game, you love the camaraderie, you love the competition and an opportunity to do other things. If your sole goal is to play in the NHL, I think it's 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 going to be a rough ride. He is Eric Brewer. Uh, congratulations again on the BC Hockey Hall of Fame. And more importantly, thank you for uh, giving us some time here on the Canucks Pod. Yeah, well, thanks for yeah, having me. It was awesome, Brew. Thank you. Yeah. Big thank you to Eric Brewer for joining the Canucks Pod. Uh, really fascinating chat. The guy who, you know, you, you can kind of picture just wanted to give a lot of credit to other people in his career. Well, you're absolutely right. And and I, a lot of those conversations, I knew what the answers were coming because I've had those conversations with him over uh, – over a beer or two or a glass of wine. And, and he's, he's such a, I've been wanting to get him involved, get him on on the podcast or on, on any of the previous shows I've worked on here at six fifty for a couple of years now. He's been reluctant because like he said, he's sort of a private guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because he's so, he's so thoughtful, right? Like everything ties back to his family or like raising kids and, and stuff that's really bigger picture than just sports. So uh, he definitely lived up to that. It was a lot of fun and yeah. Thanks to uh, Eric Brewer for joining us. Again, sat back next week. Thanks for uh, letting me sub in. Uh, and you, did, you did. You did good. Oh, you know what? You uh, you're better than backup call up five hundred or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So so I, I could basically be a one B. Sure. There we go. Well, near our Jack Campbell. Yes. Well, B would no. be for sure. I don't even know what that means, but let try. Let's be. Let's try and be Thatcher Demko next time. There we go. Uh, well, hopefully Sat doesn't get sick, but I'm happy to fill in any time. Again, Sat's back next week for a fun week. It is Sadeen week. Uh, plenty of good content coming up, and it's going to be one of the most emotional weeks. Uh, good emotional for uh, Canucks fans. It's going to be a fun week for Connect Nation on Sports Night 650. Ah, Clan. Pass the popcorn. I want to drown my sorrows. <laughs> <laughs>